when I when I look back at myself then and when I look back at myself when I first started working with clients and looking at like the beliefs that I clung on to so vehemently about the right things to do in relationship and the wrong things to do or like the right ways to practice non-monogamy and the wrong ways to practice non-monogamy and I would say that's probably been the biggest change for me is just like loosening my grip a lot because I think I learned very quickly learning with cl- uh, working with clients that if someone comes into a session with me and maybe they're practicing a type of non-monogamy that I don't have experience with or that maybe I'm like, oh, I, I would never do that myself personally. Like I, I have to switch on the empathy muscle and I have to try to understand where they're coming from and why they might choose to practice this way. And I have to find a way to validate that. And so I, I think where that's led me to is maybe a little bit of this like exhausted neutrality is perhaps what I would call it around just be in relationship however you want to be in relationship. Like, I don't care if it's polyamorous, swinging, monogamy. Uh, I don't care if it's a hall pass. I don't care if it's don't ask, don't tell. Um, just like be kind, be compassionate, be honest, and make sure that like everyone you're connected to is consenting to this type of relationship. If that's the case, just go nuts. You know, I think that that's where I've ended up is just like find some kind of basis of your own integrity for partnership and do that and seek out other people who also want to do that with you. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from all over the world to hear their personal journeys of self-discovery through the lenses of love, sex, and relationships. Our mission is to show people that they're not alone and to inspire them to embrace their true selves so that together we can open minds and live authentically without shame. We believe everyone's story is powerful and beautiful, yet it's important to remember that everyone does life a little bit differently and that the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we aren't doctors. Please consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 327. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a beautiful conversation with Dedeker. Dedeker is the co-host of the Multi-Amory podcast and an amazing relationship coach and educator. She was previously on the podcast back in episode 104 in January 2020. Today, we bring her back to have a wonderful conversation about her life the last few years and all of the things that she's gone through and learned. It's an incredible incredible conversation. Yeah, it's been I mean many many moons. Yes. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a while since we've had her on and it's so exciting to to get some updates and hear how the landscape of relationships have changed for her but also just I think so much is different. I mean, this is something that, that that you and I have realized too over the last few years is sort of our approach to relationships, our philosophies on it, the ways we talk about it, they've changed. And and I think the same is true for Dedeker. And she talks a bit about that and sort of where she's landed and just how she navigates relationships. And it's it's a beautiful conversation. I think one of the parts I love about it is it I think it's easy to look at people who do relationships for a living, let's say that, right? She, <laughs> she studies them, she researches them, that's the same thing. She talks about them. It's it's She's an educator, she's a, she's coach, a coach, she's right. a podcaster. And yet so many of the experiences are so relatable for us as well. And so just in, incredibly grateful for Dedeker to come on and share her story. And also, we got an exclusive we have a story that out of over 450 multi-amory podcasts, yes. 
and who knows how many other shows Dedeker dropped a story here that she's never dropped before. So I I am so grateful when that happens. When when people come on like, hey, I've never told this anywhere. And, yes. And we get so, it first. So, so stay stay tuned. You're gonna you're gonna wanna listen. That is your incentive to stick around <laughs> till the end. It's worth it. It definitely is. It definitely is. <laughs> You can find out more about Dedeker's work over on her website or on Multiamory's website. Links are in the podcast show notes. We also wanted to do a special shout out. Dedeker is co-hosting a poly healing retreat in April in Costa Rica. This is a ex- super exciting event. And she is co-hosting this with Orit, who was previously on episode 309. Links to check that all out are in the show notes as well. Yeah, uh, Dedeker is going to talk more about this. And Orit talked about it when we had her on back last fall. And yeah, Definitely check this out. We are super bummed we couldn't go. We tried like multiple times to go do this. We were like, we're going to go. And then we backed out. And we're like, no, we're going to go again. And then we backed out. But yeah, please check this out. It looks amazing. There are spots available. There are some spots available. So with that, for anybody who is a premium subscriber, we're going to jump right into the conversation now. And for the rest of you, we have a couple of quick announcements. The first one being how do you skip all these announcements? You sign up from the premium <laughs> subscription. It's $4 a month or I think $40 a year. You can find out more on our homepage at normalizingnonmonogamy.com or in your podcast player show notes. Right there, you'll find all the information. And then you don't have to listen to the next couple of minutes of amazing yammering that we're about to do. <laughs> or you can. Or you can because it's pretty good stuff. <laughs> There's some really good nuggets in here. There is, there is. So next up, we do have our next virtual meet and greet in February coming up this coming Saturday, the 17th. So you can sign up at our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. And then after you do that and you're like, wow, these were amazing people, Mm -hmm. we'd highly recommend you check out our virtual community full of nearly 300 people from all over the globe who come together every month or actually every day, Mm -hmm. multiple times a day, in an app that we use to foster community, build community, and support one another. It's amazing. We actually do virtual Q&As on Zoom every month. We have a men's group. We have a women's group. We get together and play games. We share stories. We share photos. It's a good time. Yeah, it is. Oh, and we have in-person retreats that we do too. Yes, we do. Those will blow your mind. We just did one in January. The real point is you want to join these. So you can head over to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You can click on the community tab and learn more about that. And I don't even think we told you how to find that virtual meet and greet. That's back on our website too. (laughs) You go to the banner at the top or on the events tab. Just basically go to our website and you will find all of the amazing stuff and all of the amazing ways to meet people. Or if you're really confused because we got all confused in here, send us an email. Yes, but it should be able, you should be able pretty easy to find. Yeah, hopefully. the virtual meet and greets to open to anybody and everybody who is amazing. The community is a private community that costs a couple of bucks a month. Yes. I think we cleared it up with that. Oh, yes, right. Super clear. And again, clear as, as, as Finn mud. said, please reach out to us, send us a voicemail, send us an email if you do have any questions. Or if you wanted to come on the show, that's a great way to do it as well. Yes, that is. You don't have to be a Dedeker Winston. You could just be a you. Yes. You don't have to be here be to promote anything. <laughs> you don't have to have the most amazing toothbrush story that's ever been told. <laughs> you're, you're teasing it. I'm teasing. <laughs> Next up, we also wanted to do a reminder to everyone out there to check out our favorite way to get tested for STIs, which is stdcheck.com. Oh, hey, it's Valentine's Day. It is Valentine's Day. So that's the perfect time to get tested for STIs. 
Well, the perfect time would have been like three days before Valentine's Day. But I would say actually maybe Valentine's Day is a great day because you're like this today, you know, I need more people in my life. Yeah. And the best way to do that is to get tested. Maybe that's your Valentine's Day outing together. Maybe. Then you're ready for the weekend of post-Valentine's Day debauchery. (laughs) Well, regardless of whether you celebrate Valentine's Day or not, it is still a wonderful time to get tested for STIs. Go to our website under the resources tab and you can use the links there for stdcheck.com. Using those links, you get $10 off making a 10 panel test, only $129 and you support the show. So thank you so much for doing that. And the best part, the best part. You get to know your sexual health status. I also think it's amazing that we were just like, well, the only way to celebrate Valentine's Day <laughs> is to go and get get yourself boning as much as possible. <laughs> no, STI testing. That's the way to celebrate it. That's the true way to celebrate Valentine's Day. <laughs> yes. There are many ways. That's We're off on a tangent. I think the whole point is we'd love you to use those links because knowing your sexual health status is super important anytime you're out mixing and mingling with people that you're interested in. Yes. Last thing. Oh, hey, another sexual health thing. Yes. We do Ask Us Anything episodes. I've been doing those with Miche for the last few months. We have another one coming up next Friday, but we're bringing a special guest on in a few months. Mila, who is the director of marketing for One Condoms, is coming on to answer all of your condom questions. So if you have questions about condoms, send them to us, send us a voicemail. You can find out information on our website. Same place you reach out to us to send us an email. Yeah, send us a voicemail. We'll use it here and, or we'll use it in the Ask Us Anything episode. We'll answer your question and you'll help out probably millions of people around the world. Yes. I'm going to round up. Of course. To millions of people (laughs) around the world. And with that. We're ready to go and talk with Dedeker. Let's do it. Welcome back to the podcast, Dedeker. We were just talking. It has been four years going on, 35 years since we talked. We talked in January (laughs) of 2020, so pre-pandemic, and here we are again. Welcome back. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. I'm really glad to have gotten onto mostly the other side of that pandemic thing. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. (laughs) It it, it still comes up here and there, but I feel like we're mostly through it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What a wild time, huh? Um, What a wild time for polyamorous folks in particular, I learned from the way my own work with clients went and the way my own relationships went. Like, no one has... You know, it was it was a real shame, like not having the book that was about how to be polyamorous in a pandemic. I think we all could have appreciated it. Yeah, it would have been helpful for the next one. For the next, <laughs> the next one, one, we'll get right in. <laughs> boy, boy. <laughs> boy, boy. Well, I I'm really excited you're back. I know we're both excited you're back, and I think we'd love to hear a little bit about yeah, how has. Well, first off, oh. I'm back up for anyone who's just not familiar yeah. with you. You need a quick introduction. Yeah, definitely. So my name is Dedeker Winston. Um, I'm one of the co-hosts and co-producers of the Multi-Amory Podcast, which is a research-backed relationship advice show that is inclusive of all types of modern relationships. I also work one-on-one with clients. Um, I work with individuals. I work with dyads. I work with triads and more. Um, I recently got my certification for doing somatic experiencing therapy. Um, So I also do that with clients, which is a trauma healing modality. That's really been just like super fantastic. And uh, I'm a Virgo and a Virgo rising. So that's everything you need to know about me. 
Perfect. Well, as, I love the summary. <laughs> yeah, and and as I was tra- as I was saying that, excited to have you back because I think, right, you've you've alluded to the fact that your relationships have changed, and and I'm going to speak from personal experience here. Like our views or my views on relationships and relating and non monogamy over the last four years have changed drastically. And so, you know, I see that reflected in how we do interviews, how we talk to people, and how we share. And I would imagine. It's probably shifted for you as well, and so I'm I'm excited to dig into another relationship junkie about yeah. relationships and to to talk about all that. So thank you for being back. For sure, for sure. I I may have already spoken about this last time I was here because I, I think this process was beginning for me. But it's I, I feel so grateful to have not just my own non monogamous experience, but uh, for there be, to be this growing community of people who are very visible, very out, you know, willing to talk about their experiences, but also now like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours working with clients, hearing everybody else's non-monogamous experiences and like the joys and the sorrows. And then also at Multiamory, spending so many hours diving into relationship research and answering listener questions. Like I, that's like been a, obviously a lot of time and effort, but I feel so grateful to have tapped into this kind of particular body of knowledge because it's really helped me have a lot of opportunities to be uh, examining and re-examining my own relationship practices, questioning and re-questioning my own relationship beliefs. And when I look back at when we started the podcast 10 years ago, it's going to be 10 years this August. Wow. Congratulations. Wild. Absolutely wild. 200 years in podcasting terms. Um, Yes, yes. <laughs> when I when I look back at myself then and when I look back at myself when I first started working with clients and looking at like the beliefs that I clung on to so vehemently about the right things to do in relationship and the wrong things to do or like the right ways to practice non-monogamy and the wrong ways to practice non-monogamy and I would say that's probably been the biggest change for me is just like loosening my grip a lot. Because I think I learned very quickly learning with cl- uh, working with clients that if someone comes into a session with me and maybe they're practicing a type of non-monogamy that I don't have experience with or that maybe I'm like, oh, I, I would never do that myself personally, like I, I have to switch on the empathy muscle and I have to try to understand where they're coming from and why they might choose to practice this way and I have to find a way to validate that. And so I, I think where that's led me to is maybe a little bit of this like exhausted neutrality is perhaps what I would call it around just be in relationship however you want to be in relationship. Like, I don't care if it's polyamorous, swinging, monogamy. Uh, I don't care if it's a hall pass. I don't care if it's don't ask, don't tell. Um, Just like be kind, be compassionate, be honest, and make sure that like everyone you're connected to is consenting to this type of relationship if that's the case, just go nuts. You know, I think that that's where I've ended up is just like find some kind of basis of your own integrity for partnership and do that and seek out other people who also want to do that with you. I I love that description and, and it's so relatable. I think I don't, I don't know for Emma, but I have come to a very similar place in the last few months of just look, yeah, do whatever makes you happy. Be kind to people communicate that that's what you're going to do. Yeah, communicate expectations. Give them the opportunity (laughs) Mm -hmm. to opt in or opt out. 
and and then just be like it's it's okay your way's not wrong my way's not wrong but our two ways may not be compatible and that's okay then like let's figure that out and then not try to force you into my way or me into your way and right. that's but it's really hard to do when you meet somebody and you're like but this person this is my person and you're like but you you want to be a swinger and they want to be living on a commune with 50 people and whatever like you're you're not you're not aligned or mm-hmm. they want to be monogamous and, and whatever. So there's just being able to talk about what we really want, mm-hmm. but also we don't always know what we really want. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think I these days also spend a lot of time thinking about some of these bigger picture issues like, you know, how are we going to secure rights for relationship diversity and family diversity. Yeah. Like like what do we actually need in order for that to happen and realizing that sometimes to actually build any kind of clout or any kind of power you need to like be able to shake hands with people that you don't 100% agree with with their methods or with mm-hmm. how they're in relationship necessarily like some of solidarity building is a little bit of like plugging your nose and being like okay I, I don't think I would do the same things this person is doing, but we have the same interest here in like wanting our freedom to kind of choose the type of relationship that we want to have, the type of family that we want to have to be protected and to be validated and and realized, right? And sometimes when I say that, people mm-hmm. think that I'm that I'm saying like, oh, you need to like be best friends with a bigot or something like that. And, and I don't think that's the case. Like I I think about, you know, I um Billy Presida from the Man Whore podcast actually was the one who told me about like, you know, we think about the people kind of 15% to either side of us as far as who hold different mm-hmm. beliefs or different practices and like connect to those people, find ways to connect to those people. You don't need to reach to the person who's, you know, um, doing something you find so incredibly disgusting and and a turn off and connect to them. But like, sure. we can kind of expand our capacity to the sides in that way as far as um, I think finding ways to accept and kind of join together with other people who also want to be able to have the relationships they want to be able to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. I'm, I'm curious in this journey for you, Dedeker, how, how has it impacted who you choose to relate with, who you choose to get into relationships with, or even the structure of what those relationships look like? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, it's been <laughs> just, uh, what a loopy doopy couple of years it's been in general for everybody. (laughs) And then for me, I mean, I went through, of course, like we all had our own personal hell that happened during the pandemic. And like my personal hell was that at the time, you know, so I was with my partner, Jace, who's one of my co-hosts on the podcast. And then I was with my partner, Alex as well. Um, And uh, he had recently accepted a job in Australia and Australia closed their borders for a year. For over a year, it like literally he and I were geographically separated for a year. And um, I didn't know how to do polyamory in that situation. That was brand new to me. Like I I had no idea how to deal with that. Um, And, you know, understandably that put a lot of strain on the relationship. Um, And while fortunately we were able to reunite after like a ton of like paperwork and bullshit for me to get into Australia again, um, you know, unfortunately that relationship ended, uh, when was it beginning of, of 2022, like right at the beginning of 2022. And then 
that started another really weird period for me where where I was like, oh gosh, like my other partner broke up with me. And then my partner, Jace, he had gone through a breakup right before the pandemic. And so he didn't have any other partners. And we had this weird moment of looking at each other where we're like, I guess we're like default monogamous now. And like overnight I went from like, oh yeah, I'm the polyamory podcaster who like, you know, spend several months out of the year splitting my time, like living with two partners and like traveling all over the world and being nomadic to like, I live in the suburbs with my monogamous partner and that's it. (laughs) And, um, understandably, what a shift. Oh my goodness. Understandably set off a little bit of an identity crisis. Um, (laughs) for a little while. It was so, it was so weird, you know, it was, cause this was another new situation where I think in this community, when most people end up going back to a monogamous structure, usually they're intentionally choosing that. Usually it's like, Hey, this isn't working. Let's pause or, Hey, let's be monogamous for a while. Or, Hey, that was fun for this particular period of time, but like, let's be monogamous during this period. And it was completely unintentional for both of us, it was entirely situational, right? And so for both myself and Jace, it was a little bit of this like weird, like, oh, okay, I guess we're normies now um, sort of situation. Um, uh, but it was fine. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't like, neither of us like spun out and freaked out about it. We had, um, you know, fairly regular check-ins about that and like kind of knowing that like, well, I know we are functionally monogamous right now, but we're not like actually monogamous. Like we still talk about the people we're attracted to and talk about, you know, like setting up our property agreement to make sure that if other partners are in the picture, like they're, they're a part of that, you know, or or considered for in that. Um, And so, so that was sort of a weird wacky wackadoo kind of time. And then the beginning of last year was when I was finally ready to date again. And Um, I started dating an old friend of mine who I'd known for 15 years. And like many, many years ago, we'd had a little bit of like off and on, on again, you know, dating, but had mostly been friends for all that time. And we spent a really long time very intentionally whipping out the relationship anarchy smorgasbord and trying to talk about what are we interested in? What could it look like? How do we, you know, how are we going to do this? You know, yada, yada, yada. And that was also a brand new experience for me, sort of like dipping you know, kind of like escalating from a previously de-escalated relationship. Um, so it's just been um, so many lessons, I think is maybe the most neutral way that I that I can say. So many lessons. Overall, I want to say like positive, you know, I, I don't regret much of the last four years other than it would have been nice if the pandemic was like a slightly bit less stressful. But um, but yeah, I don't Next know. <laughs> It's just like every time I think I've got this non-monogamy fi- thing figured out, like something else, something new comes along or or I have a client who's doing it in a brand new way. And so, um, yeah, it's just wild. And you're just like, hmm, that's interesting. Yes. What do I want to – like there's always this like growth like that you're, you're encouraging in some ways of like, hmm, that's interesting and that's interesting. And do I – want to try that? Do I not want to try that? I don't know. And so it's like you find, at least for me, like you, um, t- oftentimes you feel like you just get a, into a little bit of a groove and then mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. immediately something else. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I think too that it's, it is somewhat the nature of non-monogamy. And I, I, don't, I don't think non-monogamy is the only catalyst for personal growth, but I, it's 
clearly a catalyst, right? It, we we don't get to just sit and be complacent. We're we're having to constantly learn new tools, hone the tools, figure out how to talk to people. Even if Emma and I figure it out, it may just be months or days before somebody else pops up, even just to have a conversation about it. And so we're always having to be ready to to adapt. And I think that isn't something that that often happens in a mono, a long-term monogamous partnership, but I think it can in other ways, right? If maybe it's a job that causes that or kids or some something can cause that. But I I think it's really interesting. And I also think too in that, that, that with that in mind, we aren't the same person we were the week before, the month before, and surely not years before. And then we get to watch our partners also do that. And so just, I just, I maybe just to validate the, the amount of shifting and changing that's happening. And so to have an identity crisis of two people who have been doing the non-monogamy dance to just step back and almost just look around and go, wait a minute, this is, this is almost too calm. What's happening? Like, why is there not anything else popping up? <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, totally. Totally. That's so interesting. You bring up the, the sort of the future self thing. I know I recently listened to a Ted talk about that, about with, relationships with marriage, with our life aspirations, that so much of it is like projecting onto a future person that we're still going to want the same things or do the same things or be the same person. And there is this funny, I forget what they called it, but it's like some sort of cognitive bias where it's a lot easier for us to look to our past selves. So again, to look to myself from four years ago, or when I was 21, or when I was 15, and to acknowledge, wow, like, there's been so much change. I'm so different now. I want so many different things than I did when I was that age. But for some reason, when we think about ourselves, like four years, 10 years, 15 years in the future, we don't account for that necessarily. We tend to be like, oh, no, I'll probably be about the same as I am now. You know, <laughs> I want the same things. Yes. I definitely want the same. Yeah. Thing. And of course there's parts yeah. of us that are consistent. It's, it's not the, like, I don't want to gaslight anybody out of the things that they want, especially what they want right now. But it is just funny that we mm-hmm. don't, um, we're just not used to accounting for that. Well, and I think we have to, right. We have to plan ahead and we can only plan ahead based on what we know about ourselves today. And so when you say, well, I'm going to make my 10 year plan, my five year plan, you have to base it on what you know, which mm. is yourself. But I think, you know, you talked about earlier having to really release the grip on this is the right way. I hold this to be the truth and to say, like, that's what I want in 10 years today. But being okay, letting your past still unfold sort of fluidly without holding it so tight that you're like, no, I have to arrive at this street. At, in this city with this color house when I'm 47. Yes, yes. Like it's just not yeah. it's not a reality that we can do that. It's mm-hmm. not real likely. Have you sure. have y'all actually made 5-year or 10-year plans before ever? Um I'm like I feel like I'm trying to think through that. I feel like I have loosely. Um yes, but not from my recollection, not super detailed. Like they they've been they've been oh like I think I'd like these things in five or ten years, but not probably maybe the downfall. Not necessarily strategies of how to get there. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what were you gonna say? I, similar, I think for me, I spend a lot of my day 
and, and a lot of my life just dreaming of where I can go and what what I can be. And so there's this thought that goes through my mind often, which is like, yeah, yeah, when I grow up, mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. And then I stop sometimes and I'm like, oh, shit, I'm 36. I, maybe I'm maybe I'm grown up or I'm, you know, I still sometimes have the thought of like, well, when I'm in my thirties, I'll be able to do that. And I'm like, I'm almost out of them. Oh, wow. And so there is that, like, I, I have never sat down and written down a list. I'm notoriously bad at anything note related. So a lot of it is just fluid, but I can still hold on to those dreams and visions really tight. Well, you store it. You have a really great capacity to store it up up there, like in your in your and in a, your brain, and a really great capacity to not let go of it. Mm, interesting, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I, I think like literally the only time I've ever done any kind of detailed five year plan, it was often it was often because I was like with somebody who really wanted a five year plan for their life, you know, and so I kind of try to jump on that that bandwagon um and i've never i've never had one that's like turned out exactly how i thought that it was it was going to yeah i mean i think even like thinking through the year like putting it down to like a year plan and like at the beginning of the you know it's january now thinking through 2024 like how can i you know make shifts and changes for this year and what am i doing and i think it's great but you have to also recognize that i think planning it there's a definite great piece to it Mm -hmm. and also holding that you have to be able to be willing to move with the changes and that and shift things as needed but yeah 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 it it this this conversation kind of tied into a question i was thinking of earlier when you you talked about that identity crisis of you you and jay sort of winding up in a default monogamous relationship and i'm curious it's sort of along the lines of is non-monogamy a an activity or an event for you, or is it more of who you feel you are? And I, it, I, mean, I like feel like identity it, or a choice, right? An identity or a choice kind of thing. And, and I think it, to me, it ties in here because if it were just, you know, an, a choice where maybe you choose like, okay, I'm going to do it now. I'm not going to do it. I'm, I can see where you would lose yourself in that, that it, you, if it's not baked into a plan, it could just, be lost versus its core of who you are and it's okay if it goes away for a year or two but you haven't lost that piece of sure well i like that you asked if it was an event for me like a convention (laughs) um (laughs) i yeah i i think that really spoke to some of the stuff that i was really chewing on for that year you know was because i mean during that year i wasn't necessarily like miserable, you know, chomping at the bit, you know, like, oh my, because I was also recovering from getting out of a six-year relationship. You know, I wasn't ready to just like get back out there right away. And I also had a lot of projects and we were still working on the book and there was a lot that was taking up my time. And so of course I would pose that to my, to myself, like, is this, what if this is just how it is now? Like, like, how does that feel to you? And I, I kept coming back to like, whenever I'd imagine being monogamous with Jace for the rest of my life, that just felt weird. Like it felt doable, you know, like we have a really healthy relationship, you know, and if I was going to be monogamous with anybody, it's, it's, you know, this person, I suppose, but it just felt like, you know, when I imagine myself never, you know, exploring other relationships or when I imagined him never exploring other relationships, like it just left me with this impression of like, that feels kind of weird. That doesn't feel quite right. And it wasn't 
this like vehement and visceral, like, oh my God, that that's disgusting to me to think about, or this very fantastic, like, oh my God, yes, like that sounds great. It, it was a little bit of this, like, huh, you no, know, that seems weird. Like, I, I think this is part of me, you know, at least as far as I can predict into the foreseeable future, you know, and and we would talk about that frequently. And, you know, Jace would kind of come down on the same side of things, right? Of just like, it felt weird to think about that kind of future. And so, I don't know, like, that's a question that I get asked all the time. I think non-monogamous people get asked all the time, like, is this a lifestyle for you? Is this an activity for you? Is this just something that you do? Or is this an inherent part of your being? And, um, I don't know, man. <laughs> there's like there's there's parts of it that to me personally feel kind of immutable, but I also mm-hmm. I guess I've just increasingly gotten unsure about like, do I even know who I am? Like <laughs> what is the nature yep. of self really? What is the nature of mm-hmm. identity? Is there such a thing as self as a separate self from other, you know, so I start getting really Zen and Buddhist about this stuff really quickly. So so the answer, and maybe we can follow up again in another four years and and we can see what happens. The answer is right in this moment, it feels like this feels kind of inherent to me, but it also doesn't feel like all mm-hmm. of my identity. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And it sounds like nobody's ever asked you if it was an event. No, so that was the first, I feel first unique for me. In, I feel unique in that one. Well, but it makes sense. <laughs> like, I think it makes sense because there's a lot of people who practice non-monogamy where it is like we're largely monogamous during the year until we go to hedonism for our vacation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we go nuts or like yeah. we're monogamous during the year until we go on the swingers cruise. And so that to me is like non-monogamy as an event, I suppose. Yeah. And 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 I think that's what I was sort of getting at with it is it's, I think for some people, it's a... We're going to do it and I can easily shut it off and I put it away and I'll get it out if it feels like a good time or we do it annually. Like you said, mm-hmm. it's the annual getaway to go and do this. And so I I, I appreciate you saying that. And I think too with this, I think this is another one of those that can ebb and flow. That's and what it, I was just going to say too. You know, yeah. Maybe sometimes it feels a little more like, oh, this is really core to me. And you know, sometimes it's more like, I could take it or leave it you know, right now it's, you know, I've got enough other stuff going on or I'm feeling satisfied or whatever. I will say that this year having the experience of, of like having another partner again, you know, it's, it's been really valuable. It's definitely had its ups and downs. Um, you know, definitely after a year of monogamy where things definitely felt a lot quieter and calmer and arguably a little bit simpler. And then like having another relationship I was like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I got to get back into this mode of caring for multiple partners. But, but it, you know, having the experience did affirm to me, like, even when it's sometimes been like hard that I've been like, no, but like, this still feels right to me. Like I still really enjoy this experience of having more than one partner and, you know, having my partner's you know, being friends with each other and get along, getting along with each other and stuff like that. So, so that's been some more information that has come in after this year of unintentional monogamy. Yeah, I love that. I'm, I have a, a, maybe a weird question. It feels like a weird question. So, during that that year of monogamy, you've you are somebody who I feel like it could be the title of a book. Oh, yeah, a year, your year of monogamy. <laughs> a year that we decided to spice things up in our relationship and try being monogamous for a year. Well, it's it's funny you say that because the the question is sort of, did you find, as somebody who has navigated non-monogamy for a very long time, 
writes books about it, coaches it, does all of the things. Did you feel like when you when you came back to monogamy for a little while that you were just like you were it was like so like you were bringing I don't know a dump truck to where you just needed a little pail you know to <laughs> scoop some sand you just like had so much so many tools that it was just like this is way easy like now I have like I have the answers and I can do it and it's easier did it present new challenges that's really hard for me to answer because of the fact that it was Jace like someone who yep also has all of these tools who also is in the very same boat I think it'd be different like if I'd gone through that experience and then like started dating somebody brand new and decided to be monogamous mm-hmm. I, I might have a little bit of maybe that dump truck to the gopher hole situation um but but because it was it was with Jace and and our relationship has definitely benefited from like hundreds of hours of like reading research studies together on on relationships and on communication right um so it's like my experience of that relationship, I would say, as far as the quality of it, didn't necessarily change. It wasn't like, oh, now that we're monogamous, things feel like way closer, or way more intimate, or or anything like that. If anything, um, there was a little bit more of, can you please leave the house? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, because he was used to me, like sometimes being gone for months at a time, or spending weekends away, or stuff like that. And and so when I started dating again, he was like, "Oh, thank goodness, I'm I'm excited for that." You know, that I can get the house to myself. Again. I get some more me time. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Um, yeah the 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 area where I would say things felt easier is is I did feel like I had a little bit more time to myself. Although again, that was a year of like a lot of projects and a lot of work stuff that happened. And so, so it wasn't like I was just sitting around all the time. And the other area where things felt easier is um, dealing with family felt easier. Like dealing with my, all of our boomer family members felt a lot easier. Um, because I, I think again, uh, Jason and I are both fortunate in that our family members are largely, I would say, confused yet supportive of like the work that we do and 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 the kind of relationship practice that we have. But I do feel like there was something. I think this is me projecting a little bit. Nobody actually told me this, so like this could be one hundred percent in my head. But I felt like I perceived a little bit of a like, oh, thank God you're normal now. Okay, thank God. I know how to I know how to talk to you now about your relationships and your home life and stuff like that. So I do think that area felt a little bit easier. Be- because it's just stepping back yeah. into the mainstream, right? Like stepping back into right, yeah. what everybody knows and is comfortable with and familiar with and that there's benefits to that. Swimming against the mainstream is exhausting. Yeah. It is. Yeah. That other people don't have to you're not for I guess encouraging people to expand their growth edges right. uh, it, you're back into the the, right. <laughs> the yeah. mainstream yeah yeah, yeah. I, I love that you said that too Dedica, that just that you're if you're constantly swimming against the norm you sometimes you do need to just float yes and take a breath yes 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 i yeah, yeah. I, I think this is something i have to remind myself a lot and remind the people that i love and remind my clients that yeah this shit gets exhausting and it's okay sometimes if if you're just like, I can't be out at work. 
I could be out at work. I'm sure it wouldn't affect my job. Like, I don't think my job is precarious or anything like that. But, but like having to deal with having these five, six, seven, eight conversations with all these people is just like too exhausting when I'm already having to deal with like being out to my family, for instance. And like, this is stuff that a lot of mm-hmm. people deal with anyway, like people who are queer, people who are trans that, that, yeah, yep. sometimes, like you said, we need to float. You know, we need to have the moments where we give ourselves the break because this stuff is tired, is tiring. And we need to recharge that energy to keep on going and keep on swimming up the stream. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And, and this is a, uh, a secret, uh, what is it? A camouflaged plug for both of our <laughs> communities of just the, <laughs> the benefit there is right. You don't have to, you, you can be you and float, mm-hmm. even if it's just in that one space. And I just, I think that to me is the beauty of finding your community, whether it's yours, your actual multi-amory community, ours, or whatever community you need to find out there to mm. give yes. you that place to rest and just be you without having to hide yes. you. Yeah, anytime that I have stepped into, especially an in-person community space, which I don't do very often because I'm definitely an introvert, but like I always forget how much relief is there. Like I think I I sometimes when I step into those spaces, I don't realize the muscles that I've been clenching the entire time you know, um, and, and by muscles, sometimes that's literal muscles. Sometimes it's like figurative muscles of Uh figuring out which parts of you, you can show who knows what, what can I say? I need to keep track of do the mental gymnastics of, of how I need to talk about this to people that when you're in a space where that can drop away, um, it's, it can really, really be recharging. Yeah. 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 Without a doubt. And I, I also, I mean, when you say something, I, I also just, there's a part too. I, we, don't, we don't often get to talk to people who've been as such at the, maybe the forefront or as well versed in this, but that you still come up against the stuff with family. You still come up against this with friends. And I just, there's maybe just a little peace of mind in there for, for everybody else that, you know, Emma and I struggle with this stuff. You struggle with this. I would guess Jace, mm-hmm, Emily, mm-hmm. and probably every other person out there writing books and podcasts. It's still hard. Yeah. And we're not immune. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, sometimes again, because the non-monogamous community is so online, it's 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 a blessing and a curse, right? You know, the blessing being like these kind of really nice community spaces that you can join and be a part of and feel affirmed and validated and seen. And then the curse being that sometimes I find that I sometimes forget how much stigma there still is about any kind of non-normative relationship until like I end up, you know, the algorithm serves me something that's outside of my little bubble, or I go do an interview on a more mainstream publication or a more mainstream podcast, and then like end up seeing the comments afterwards. And I'm just like, Jesus, you know, that like, mm-hmm. sometimes it's, it's easy. And I mean, like, we're all doing really important work to be vocal and to raise awareness and to raise support for the wide spectrum of relationship diversity. Uh, And it's always a little bit of this grim reminder of like, there's still so much more work to do, just like so much more work to do. Um, And then sometimes like, I don't know, I want to throw my hands up at some of the like ways that people respond to non-monogamy. Like I really want to throw my hands up and just be like, I'm, 
the way people respond is is though I'm I'm saying that like I want the right to like chop my partner's arms off and like sew them together, you know, and I'm just like, y'all, like we can calm down about this. This is the stakes are not actually that high on this one of all things in the world to be upset about. Yeah. I think it's a threat though to to their right existence, yeah. to their right if if you're breaking out I mean, so many of these norms and these things and, and right, life is hard. It can be really hard for people. And so if you find a rhythm and a groove and somebody comes along and says, but maybe that's not the only way, it's like, well, I just figured this way out. Sure. And so I, I kind of feel similar to what we were saying a few minutes ago. Of like, okay, we just figured out this new groove. We brought, the, you know, somebody brought a new partner into the dynamic. Who we're feeling good. Okay. And then somebody's like, oh, somebody new. Sure. And so it's you're constantly having to grow, and not everybody wants to grow. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. 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 But yeah, I couldn't agree more that just you're like, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Like, does it matter to you if I go out on a date? Right. And I have my my partner at home. Does that really impact you? Yeah, sometimes I'm like, do you really like are you really that upset that I get to have the same fight over the dishes with not one person but two people? Like re- like really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the other side of the coin that every because yeah. everybody thinks it's just orgies mm-hmm, and sex. Mm-hmm. That's what we get. Mm-hmm. You uh-huh. you have five partners, you gain five times the sex. Yes, and you're like, yeah. it's not quite that <laughs> right. simple of math. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I just have to have five times the conversation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I'm curious, switching gears a little bit, you know, you mentioned coming out of that year of monogamy into rekindling a um a relationship that it sounds like you kind of had de-escalated and escalated. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about that, navigating the es- different escalations in relationships, um, because it's something that can can be really difficult. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I will like full disclosure, uh, the work's still not done with this particular relationship be- because- Of course. Yeah. It's this weird thing where where there has already been a 15-year relationship, you know, and yeah. there, even in a friendship, there is still an attachment style at play, and there's still attachment dynamics at play. And so, it is sort of this weird experience, oh God, like this absolutely wild experience of when we decided to start dating again having this weird, like there was some NRE actually, like I totally got caught off guard, even though like you're not a new person to me and it's not technically a new relationship, but like there was still some sort of weird brain chemical stuff that came through. But then also we kind of have like 15 years worth of therapy work to do at the same time, you know, and like, there's still some stories, like, like we kind of have to put some old narratives to bed and like create some new ones. Like it's, um, when I'm talking about it now in the abstract, like I think my like academic, like scientist brain is like how fascinating. Uh, in reality, it's just it's like really sometimes disorienting and like exciting and also weird. And and also this is the kind of thing where like there isn't really a book about this one either. At least not that I've no <laughs> no how to how to take a friendship. 15 year friendship and escalate it into a romantic relationship. Yeah, there's I I learned that in romance novels there is like a friends to lovers sort of genre. Um, but I've not done mm-hmm. any extensive reading quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And and to be clear, like the two 
it sounds like the two of you had kind of dated a little bit. Yeah, in we the met past, in college. But like this is mm-hmm. okay, but you hadn't taken the relationship to a more serious romantic relationship until the last year. I well, I don't know. The way that we've kind of been framing it is that it's like we're getting this chance to like meet each other again in our thirties and see what it's like to date in our thirties, as opposed to dating when we're like 21, you know? Um, And uh, I will say that some of, some of the work has uh, like for both of us has been a little bit of like putting those 21 year olds to bed, you know, because they're still present. You know, that was also the weird thing is, is like kind of stepping back into that relationship was a little bit of like, oh, wow, all these things I forgot about how I felt and what I thought, what I was scared of and what I wanted when I was 21. Like she's still in there and, and we've got to find ways to be in dialogue with that younger self, you know, or kind of looping back around to that whole discussion of like how different we are from our younger selves and our future selves. But like, yeah, that's, that's definitely been something I've really chewed on a lot this year. Yeah. It's, it's so, I kind of said, you're like, it's so fascinating. Like it is interesting. And I, and we see that dynamic mirrored in, I'll say for us as well, right. We've known each other and been together since we were 17 and 18. Well, we've known each other since we were 13. And so there are times inevitably where stuff pops up and we're still in that mindset that like, that was shit from high school and yes. that was shit from our freshman year of college. Yes. And, and we're like, I'm not that guy. You're not that yes. woman anymore. We are very different people, but we're bring, we bring that forward. Yes. And, and I think it is really interesting the way you talked about, you had escalated it then sort of, and uh, these words escalate, yes, but know, you had yeah. transitioned, yeah. you transitioned, yeah. transitioned into like romance out of it and back into it while keeping a friendship. And I, I also think it's really beautiful because that's what we hear a lot of people talking about. One of the benefits of polyamory or non-monogamy is we don't have to do the, hey, we broke up. I'm never talking to you again because sure. you're now my enemy. Sure. You're just you're transitioning into a different dynamic that is better suited for the two of you or the however many of you there are for that time. Yes. Yeah. It's also gotten me thinking a lot about um, you know, so so I trained via like the Gottman Institute method for couples therapy. And, you know, the Gottman Institute research really strongly suggests that the quality of a romantic relationship is based on and influenced by the quality of the friendship between the two people. And they break down friendship into things like, um, you know, do, do you maintain a sense of cognitive room? Like what that means is like, is there literally space in your brain that's dedicated to like keeping up to date with the other person with, you know, what's on their heart, what's on their mind, what are their stressors right now? What are they going to do at work today? You know, who's their favorite family member? Um, you know, these things that we do maintain for friends as well as for romantic partners. Um, and they also include, you know, the two other factors of friendship includes things like, um, admiration, you know, fondness and admiration. Like, do you like the other person? Do you have a sense of admiration for the other person? And then also bids, responding to bids, right? So it's like, when you reach out to me for my attention, like, does the other person respond? And the more that I've been thinking about this, the more that I've thought about this, not only in my romantic relationships, like really looking at that and looking at the quality of the actual friendship in my romantic relationships, but also my friendships, as well, you know, of, of really trying to not take those for granted and really trying to examine, you know, 
this particular friend, do I still feel a fondness and admiration for them? Has it been a long time since I've kind of updated my inner cognitive room about what's going on with them? And that's been, um, that's just been like, I, I think a really, really helpful thing for me as far as thinking about the quality of my relationships more globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of the the label or the, 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 the structure are you are you treating it the way that you want to treat it? Mm-hmm. it sounds like yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just, sorry. I'm sitting with that for a moment. I love it. Um, I guess I'm curious and how if you see any speaking of future selves, if you see like kind of the path you're going down now, like kind of do you see any major changes? Where do you see yourself? We need going? your five year plan. Oh no. <laughs> Dang it. No, 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 no. Not the five-year plan. Just general thoughts of kind of where you're at now and where you're wanting. Yeah. So funnily enough, I think that I have found myself for a couple of years now really trying to rethink uh, my relationship to, I I guess, what people would maybe more call quote-unquote like casual relationships with other people, like I, I, because, you know, like the things that I've learned about myself is like, well, I'm still non-monogamous and I still like having multiple partners, but I'm also a busy lady and I don't necessarily have all the time to just have super, super deep, uh, very time consuming relationships with everybody in the world. And so what does that mean for me? And I think that, um, you know, kind of more like casual relationship or less entwined relationship is not something that I've done very well with in the past or that I've really experienced a ton of in the past. I, I do think that our traditional dating rules that we receive from our culture really puts people into two boxes of like, I'm going on a date with you and I'm hoping that you're my soulmate, or I'm going on a date with you and I hope that I can bring you home with me afterwards and that's it. And it really erases this vast in-between that is there. And so that's something that has been on my mind recently is, you know, would I be open to, you know, being able to be in quote unquote partnership with somebody they only saw once a month or once every few months or things like that? Like, would that add anything to my life? Like, how would I want to show up? Like, um, you know, are there things that I would be sacrificing in that type of relationship? Uh, but would it be worth the benefits? Like, like that's definitely stuff that I've been thinking about quite a bit during the year of being monogamous. Jason and I were also like, I are we swingers now? Do we become like the predatory unicorn couple now? Like, this is a great opportunity to really expand our non-monogamy portfolio of experiences. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, so I've also kind of thought that, you know, I I went through in my mid-20s, I I did like a lot of non-monogamous experimentation with all kinds of different types, you know, like I, you know, tried like swinging and like all these different kind of different structures. And now maybe I'm kind of uh, maybe wanting to experience that again in my thirties, be like, what is it like now playing around with kind of these different types of non-monogamy? Um, a lot of this though, like lives in my brain and is quite theoretically th- theoretical because uh, busy lady, like I said, mm-hmm. yeah, like there's a lot of balls you're juggling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but it it is fun to think about it though. And and I think too, it's it's it would likely be a very different experience swinging in your 20s versus swinging in your 30s. Mm-hmm. And it's I also like think back and I go, 
I remember I talked a bit about like, oh, when I'm going to grow up. And I think there was so much of our swinging experience was in our early 20s. And we would we were often with people in their 30s and 40s. And they seemed so like so much older. <laughs> and now I'm like there and I'm like, well, I wonder what it's like if I was to be in that environment in this body mm-hmm. with this, you know, with this knowledge and wisdom and experience. And so it's, it is a, it is an interesting sort of thought yeah. experiment. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I appreciate you saying yeah. that. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, um, I feel hopeful about the future. That's maybe one thing that I can say as far as that. Yeah. I feel really grateful that I have a lot of experience and I have a lot of tools. Um, and like, frankly, that I have good relationships that I feel relatively empowered in my relationships as far as being able to communicate things or ask for the things that I need or, or be honest, you know? Um, and so, so yeah, I'm just like, I don't know who knows what's next, who knows like what new non-monogamy label is going to come out of the factory, the social media factory in five years, that's going to just like blow my mind or turn me off. Who knows? Right. For sure. Well, yeah. yeah. Who knows? (laughs) It's, it's, It's funny that you say that because as you were talking, I was thinking, right, with what you said, rolling all the way back to the very beginning about sort of your approach now is just like, please do whatever relationship thing works for you. Be kind, be considerate, show up with all of the tools and be consensual. And it sounds like that's sort of where you're almost talking about going for yourself is mm-hmm. I, maybe it's swinging, maybe it's something different. Maybe it doesn't have any label, but it just could be a thing that I now take. I have enough tools in my toolkit to just be in a relationship, mm-hmm. whatever it makes sense for it to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose that if I was going to like really chop it down to super bare bones, I, I suppose I know that in the future, I'm going to keep looking for good people who can communicate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe mm-hmm. that's like, I mean, that's like very, very, very minimal, but but yeah. like that's good people who can communicate yeah <laughs> but from, yeah yeah but from there you can build just about anything because yeah. you can come to the table and say i'm feeling this i'm thinking that this would work for me what works for you they can share and then you go we're gonna make a a widget and right you name it whatever you want it doesn't even have to have a label you just say we're just gonna do it mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. there's a lot of power i I find that to be a really exciting place. Yeah, yeah. I I find myself often having to do some work with clients around, you know, everyone's favorite hot topic of boundaries. And uh, because, because I... I'm just surprised by how often people come to me like really in a panic, like that seems to stem from like... I'm going to be forced to do something that I don't want to do, whether it's in relationship or, or in a person that I, that I'm going to be forced to hang out with, or, or I'm going to be forced to have a particular relationship with somebody or, or whatever. Um, and I, I don't know. I think I find myself often really reassuring people that like, if you trust in your own sense of boundaries, as in like where you begin and end and what it is that you actually want. And if you trust in your ability to at least try to communicate, you know, maybe the other person is not going to be able to hear it. Maybe the other person is not going to be able to like it, but at least that's your empowerment in the situation, 
you know, that like you provided, you know, provided that you're like in a, in a situation where you're not like being abused or controlled or, or things like that. Like you have this ability to be your own last defense in relationship. And, and I think I, I end up spending a lot of time really trying to shore that up in people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's cause it's so easy to lose ourselves, I think in that moment and, and think, like you said, that we have to do it some, some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, and then, yeah, you get wrapped up in everything. It's easy to get wrapped up. It's easy to get pulled into the emotions and, and just the, the excitement, the excitement mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to step back and be, Oh, what's realistic. What's, what's, yeah. you know, right now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Difficult. Wow. But important. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I I love this conversation. Dan. I always love getting a chance to talk to you. And would would I have a couple, I have like one or two more questions, but we'd love for you to plug all of your work, tell people where they can find you. We know you've got a book out and we know you're doing an amazing retreat and not too long. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to, to give you a chance to talk about that. Yeah. So I'll talk about the retreat first, but myself and Orit Krug, who is a dance and movement therapist, um, we've pulled together a, a somatic healing retreat for polyamorous folks that's going to be taking place in Costa Rica in April of 2024. Uh, I'm mega, mega excited. Um, you know, this whole kind of somatic therapy thing has been my kick for the past few years. I don't get a ton of opportunities to like gush about it on the podcast necessarily. And so I'm really excited to be able to share this with people. Um, so if people want more information about that, they can go to multiamory.com slash retreat to get the dates for that. If you just want to listen to my podcast, you can find that wherever fine podcasts are sold or whatever your preferred podcast player is. <laughs> you can go to multiamory.com. That's where you're going to find information about our book. Um, and you can also go to my website as well, dedekerwinston.com, and all the usual stuff that if you type multiamory into pretty much any social platform, you're going to find us. Perfect. And and links to everything you just said will be in the show notes so people don't have to write that all down. Yes. And, and also, a, just a quick plug for anybody who doesn't remember, back on episode 309, we actually had Orit on. Mm. And so if you would like to learn more about her and her incredible story and work, please go check that out. Yeah, that was back in October yep. of 2023. So just yeah. a few months ago. Okay. Not too long ago. No. Too long ago. Yeah. And so, yeah, thank you for all that. So my my question is, I, I feel like this conversation was not our standard arc of like talking about a relationship and where you're not. And that's perfect because, well, we have, we have rapport, but I would love to go back to the roots with a question. And the question is about bloopers because it's fun. And I feel like going through the pandemic and non-monogamy did any and the year of monogamy and the year of monogamy bloopers come in re- relationally if if you want to talk sex bloopers we get some people who tell their hilarious orgy stories not not trying to to corner you into that just whatever <laughs> comes up for you is like we we went off the rails a little there cuz cuz i'm having like two experiences one is kind of like i don't recall any and then the other experience is like there were probably so many um <laughs> i need to sit and think about that um, bloopers. I, to be honest, I, I'm what's coming. The, like the number one blooper that comes to mind for me is not a recent one. It comes from more of my earlier days 
of polyamory where, okay, first I'm going to drag my ex and then I'm going to drag myself. So bear with me. Okay. <laughs> um, but, so this was, this was many years ago. I was in my mid twenties. It was my first actual like polyamory experience. So as in my first experience where I'm dating someone who's also dating someone where there's like multiple emotionally entwined relationships involved, like up to that point, like all of my non-monogamy experience had either been swinging or kind of more casual stuff, you know, or like, oh, there's like one primary couple and everybody else is a little bit more casual. And so this was new to me and um, it was new to him too. And he wasn't great at it. And, you know, his other partner was also kind of only semi on board with the whole non-monogamy thing. And, oh gosh, I ended up in this situation, like this, this really crummy situation where basically like when I would spend the night at his place, if she, my meta was going to be coming over soon, like I would have to help him kind of basically like like hazmat the place to make sure there wasn't a ton of evidence of me around, even though like she knew that I was in the picture, but it was kind of like, you know, even like seeing your toothbrush around or whatever, like that's going to be too much. So we need to like hide those things. And uh, because I was in my mid twenties and had bad boundaries, I was just like, okay, (laughs) you know, and just agreed to do that. And started getting like more and more resentful because it didn't go the other way, right? That like, because I was kind of like the cool girl who was much more familiar with non-monogamy that like there wasn't kind of the same like, oh, I'm, I'm going to scrub all the evidence that he was with his other partner. Um, oh God, I can't believe I'm confessing this live. I, I started throwing away my Meta's toothbrush out of spite. <laughs> <laughs> so the toothbrush was really a key component. The tooth- like the toothbrush really became a thing, right? Like I started getting so resentful that like I have to hide my toothbrush, but then I have to look at her toothbrush all the time that like there were some days where like as part of the whole kind of cleanup process, like I would just take it and throw it in the dumpster outside on the way out. <laughs> and I never confessed to what I was doing. Um, and uh, I've uh, done some work on that since then on processing the situation. I'm proud to say I've not thrown away any other other metas objects since then. <laughs> That I can recall. Progress. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I also say like, I. I think it's such a ridiculous thing because it's it's like I've made much worse blunders and bloopers in non-monogamous relationships, much more egregious stuff. But for some reason, like the intersection of mistake and like totally silly and ridiculous feels like it lived with that toothbrush situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I also can totally see how it like in that moment gave you a little power back of yes. like I have a little like oh like this is this is yes. what I need to do right now. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was also also oh god okay fine while we're on the train I'm just going to like let it all go. It was also like a nice <laughs> toothbrush as well. Like <laughs> like it was kind of the beginning of those like battery operated vibrating toothbrushes um and like I threw one of those in the dumpster. That's how resentful I was of this whole situation. Well, I will say, <laughs> I feel like anyone who's my meta now is going to be like, like regarding their toothbrush with their life. <laughs> Reminder, this was a long time, long time ago. Yeah, you, 
<laughs> I will say my, my brain went to, well, there's way worse things you could have done with the toothbrush. So if I'm in that boat oh, and I'm like, well, all they did was throw it away. I'm like, well, at least they didn't do other things with it. And then I'm just brushing my teeth, just completely in the dark about it. So I, I give you credit oh, that's, that's for nice. just throwing it away. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also have to say that it reminds me this is way off topic well it's on the toothbrush topic it reminds me of a dan savage thing that he talked about one time this was like many many years ago and it always stuck with me and i've always um i've always corrected for this which is he he remembered he had talked about somebody who called into the show and their thing was whenever they went to like a house party and I don't know how they managed to do this, but they, this is kind of gross. So anybody who's listening doesn't want to be grossed out, plug your ears. They would take like a drop of cum and put it on like the toothbrushes of the people oh who God. Lived. It was like this weird, oh my it was like this weird fetish thing that this guy did. Yeah. And like, he confessed it to like, to somehow to Dan Savage, like in an email or in a love letter of the day. And so ever since I heard that, I'm like, People, my toothbrush is nowhere to be found. <laughs> so. I think that's the lesson that we're learning is like, don't leave your toothbrush out anywhere. Lock it in yeah. a safe. <laughs> exactly. And so to my point earlier, you could have done way worse things with your toothbrush okay. than just simply <laughs> throw for, it thank away. Thank you for putting it in perspective. Makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you are welcome. And please, nobody listening to this get ideas. This is not this is not a brainstorming session. <laughs> this oh might be gosh. one of the weirder conversations we've had. I love it. You never know. You never know where it's gonna go. That's right. Well thank you for going down that down that ride. Oh, with thank us. you. Um, thank I was you for letting me like thank you for being my confessional because I haven't I yeah. have I written about that? No, I think I've always told myself I'm going to write about it because it's again at that weird intersection of like shameful but maybe a little bit silly. Um but no, I think I think you heard it here first, folks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we and are does, does we are it, honored. Yeah, does it feel like a relief or a little bit <laughs> uneasy? It feels like a relief. I, I think that um, <laughs> to, to make it more serious, I think those of us in non-monogamous relationships already, I think, feel a lot of pressure to project a really positive face all the time, right? Because we're just like so mm -hmm. used to, like so sick of being criticized and stigmatized. And so we really want to put forward a a good, uh, you know, a good face, right? And to make sure that things look good and look valid. And so, like, I think we already feel that pressure. And then I think anyone who's talking about their non-monogamous relationships publicly in a public forum really feel that pressure. So for me to be able to at least open up a little bit about maybe a very minor sin is is cathartic. Yeah. And that it's, I, I love that you say that because we do, we try to, we ought, we, we have to, especially to show for our parents and our friends yes. and our family, like, no, 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 it's cool. It's easy. It's, I don't mind at all that I have to put my toothbrush, right. like all of this yeah. stuff, but you're like, no, I do mind. It yes. does. It hurts. It sucks, yes. you know? And so I'm, I'm grateful that you shared. And, <laughs> and, and so maybe with that, is there, is there anything else toothbrush related or not that you would like to get out in the world today before we let you go and enjoy your, I suppose your afternoon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, 
No, other than just like, I so appreciate as always the work that the two of you are doing. And I hope that everyone that listens to your show and especially not just this episode, but other episodes like feels even more empowered to feel like you are normal and like what you want is normal and that you're not alone. You know, you're not, you're not alone in, yeah. in being non-monogamous and you're not alone if you're having some like toothbrush issues with your meta. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And just for this conversation as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing as always. And we look forward to, we'll say four years from now, but how about sooner? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Perfect. Well, have a wonderful day, Dedeker, and we will, we'll talk soon. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And we're back. Thank you so much, Dedeker, for the amazing work that you do and for coming on and sharing everything you did and for sharing that incredible toothbrush story. I think it humanizes us all. Uh, Yeah. That we're all just as vulnerable to the insecurities and hurts that come along with relationships. We're out there just figuring it all out. Throwing away toothbrushes. Just (laughs) fuck them. That's what I say. (laughs) (laughs) A quick reminder, you can check out all of Dedeker's work using the links in the podcast show notes and go and check out that Costa Rica retreat in April too. It looks incredible. And for those of you who are like, I don't want to wait until April. I'd love to meet some more people right now. Well, we'll see you this weekend on February 17th for our next virtual meet and greet, or we'll see you in the community where we're there all day, every day, having a hell of a good time. Information about that on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Next week. Next week, we have an interview with Kim Lee. Yes. A great interview. Another, an author coming on to share a bit of their, uh, let's call it (laughs) spicy history. Yes. It's quite the spicy story. All right. (laughs) We'll leave it there and we will see you all in a week and we'll see some of you this weekend at our virtual meet and greet. Sign up on our website. Come join us. And see you next week. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Wait, got to do my signature sign. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. You're never going to let me have it, are you? No.